The most important myth that's been around for a long time is that type 2 diabetes is for life. It's a life sentence. It's a chronic progressive disease. If you've just been diagnosed, you might have been told you'll need more and more tablets over time, and eventually you'll end up on insulin, but it's okay. But in fact, our research has completely overturned that. We've shown that type 2 diabetes is reversible, and this can be done by dramatically reducing the amount of fat in the body and keeping it away. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. There is a lot of misconceptions about type 2 diabetes, one of the biggest chronic health conditions affecting millions of people worldwide. One of the biggest misconceptions is that type 2 diabetes is not reversible and that you will need to be on insulin for the rest of your life, depending on how severe your diabetes is. But recent groundbreaking research points to another outcome, that type 2 diabetes is in fact reversible, which is amazing news for millions of people around the world, not just here in the U.S., I actually have family members that have reversed type 2 diabetes and have seen enough case studies that I know it can be done, especially for those recently diagnosed and those struggling with insulin resistance and prediabetes. Now, in my research for challenging the status quo, especially for such a big chronic condition, I sought out one of the best researchers on reversing type 2 diabetes. Dr. Roy Taylor has helped thousands upon thousands of people reverse diabetes and his research proves it. Due to his astounding success, he was asked to write a book detailing out his protocols so that more people could benefit from his research and be able to reverse their diabetes. Now, this topic hits home for me because every day, amazing women like yourself reach out to me with symptoms of PCOS, irregular menstrual cycles, and estrogen dominance, hormone issues that are affected by insulin resistance. Little do many women know Insulin as a hormone has major implications on our reproductive system. And the more that we understand about getting our blood sugar levels on track and helping to balance out our insulin levels, the more we will be able to reverse these hormone issues once and for all. Now, I am excited to bring Dr. Roy Taylor onto the show today to shed light on his groundbreaking research on reversing type 2 diabetes in only eight weeks. But before I do, I want to quickly sing his praises. Dr. Taylor's research on diabetes and the reversal technique is widely accepted by medical and scientific communities around the world. He gives lectures in Europe, the US, the Middle East, India, South America, Australia, and has been awarded several awards. Also, he is known as the rock star of diabetes. He's authored authored over 300 scientific papers and has a new book out called Life Without Diabetes, which I believe says it all. Let's welcome Dr. Roy Taylor to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Roy Taylor. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, Marissa. Thanks so much for being here. Today, we're going to be talking about reversing type 2 diabetes. And ooh, this is a topic that my audience is always interested in hearing about. Now, before we get into this, and I know we're going to be talking about your book as well, Life Without Diabetes, I want to just have you share what was the inspiration for doing this work and for writing this book? Well, the inspiration 
was really looking after people with diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, but especially type 2 diabetes, over the last 40 years. They've told me what they think about the disease, how horrible it is to be trapped in a disease that's inevitable and lifelong, and indeed has already caused such terrible complications for them. Trouble with eyesight, trouble with feet. This is a terrible disease in its later stages. And so clearly my research had to try and understand what was going on. And so it was the attempt to really understand the disease that led to the sudden realization of how it might be reversed. I love it. I'm so glad we're here to talk about that today. Now, what is the main cause? I know most people have a sense of how we would get type 2 diabetes, but I would love for you to break it down to us today. Yes. Well, from our work over the last 15 years now, we can say quite simply type 2 diabetes happens when a person has more fat in their body than they can tolerate. Now, that's different from being too fat. That's a qualitative thing. It's an opinion of others. But if the fat spills over from where it can be stored safely and actually gets into the pancreas and into the liver, then that's the process starting. It will tick over for a number of years, but eventually will cause type 2 diabetes. And so I saw that it was possible to get at this primary cause, too much fat in the liver and pancreas, by removing quite a substantial amount of fat from the body and then expecting that person to be able to keep their fat safe. And much to my astonishment, that's exactly what we found back in 2011. So basically, if we can keep our liver and our pancreas with, without becoming fatty, so if we can keep them from incurring fat deposits, then we have a better chance of not getting type 2 diabetes. And can you connect this to our consumption of sugar? Indirectly, yes. Now, we need to be quite clear that our bodies build up fat as a result of eating too much food and taking too much drink. And it's very little to do with the actual quantities of this or that in the diet, with a vital exception. We're all human, and so we're susceptible to all the tastes of the likes and dislikes, and especially social pressures. And in these contexts, sugary foods actually go down very well. They go down very well indeed. And it's possible to take in quite large quantities of calories. So in that sense, yes, there is a problem with the amount of freely available, low-cost sugar that's available in especially prepared foods. Okay. And what are some of the few myths? Because I'm, I'm a big advocate of people not eating sugar. I'm a big advocate of people not eating a lot of foods, but I find as a women's hormone doctor that sugar creates a lot of issues with our estrogen levels. It creates issues with our immune system and ultimately our bodies trying to break down sugar or storing sugar ends up becoming, ends up creating a fatty liver over time. And that's always my concern. 
around sugar is like, how is it impacting the liver over time for, for its ability to do its job? Yes, it's probably really important for everyone watching this to understand what happens to the food after we eat it. And that, in fact, was what I was trying to understand for the 20 years before this research took off. And what we showed in a nutshell was that any sort of sugar or carbohydrate is neatly stored in the body as glycogen, except those stores are very small. And if you can't store it adequately, it spills over and the body's only got one way of dealing with it. And that is, it very cleverly turns this very unpleasant compound sugar into fat. Now that's a safe storage for the energy. But because this process happens only in the liver, yes, there is a direct link between excessive calories, especially as sugar, and buildup of fat in the liver. Perfect. Thank you. Now, what are some of the few myths about type 2 diabetes that, that this book, Life Without Diabetes, actually disproves? Well, I think the most important myth that's been around for a long time is that type 2 diabetes is for life. It's a life sentence. It's a chronic progressive disease. If you've just been diagnosed, you might have been told you'll need more and more tablets over time, and eventually you'll end up on insulin, but it's okay, although there are complications. Now, faced with that horror of not being able to escape from this vice-like disease, you can understand why people dislike it so much. But in fact, our research has completely overturned that. We've shown that type 2 diabetes is reversible, especially in the early stages, and the earlier the better. And this can be done by dramatically reducing the amount of fat in the body and keeping it away. So type 2 diabetes is for life? No. We've shown it's a myth, although I have to say, if a person has had it for quite a long time, there's more and more chance that, in fact, it will be very difficult to get rid of this diabetes totally. What we can say for them is that substantial weight loss will actually dramatically improve the condition, possibly taking them off insulin. So one myth, diabetes is irreversible, has gone. We have satisfactorily dispelled that. And this isn't just opinion. We've been able to publish this in a series of papers in the most prominent scientific journals. So what I'm saying comes with heavy scientific backing. I agree 100% that that is a myth that needs to be dispelled. Any other myths that we should be mindful of when it comes to diabetes? Well, there's one particular myth, which I think many people with diabetes will be very pleased to hear described as a myth. And that is type 2 diabetes is due to obesity. In fact, we find that type 2 diabetes has got very little to do with obesity in its exact cause, although, of course, it's more common in people who are overweight. Now, we can say this because we've discovered that individuals cross a threshold whereby they've stored so much fat and that's been safe, 
but when they go above it, it becomes impossible to store safely and clogs up the liver and pancreas. But it doesn't matter if your body mass index is 25 and you've gone up to, say, 28, or if your body mass index is 35 and you've gone up to 38. It's exactly the same process. And so if we wind back to people who are quite slim with a body mass index in the so-called normal range, less than 25 in round numbers, then they too can get ordinary type 2 diabetes. And we now know that type 2 diabetes in these people is just as reversible as with people who are much heavier. So dropping a BMI that slowly crept up over the years to the dizzy heights of, say, 24, back down to the sort of BMI that a person had in their 20s, we'll see the back of traditional type 2 diabetes. So we can say type 2 diabetes is not caused by obesity. It is merely an association. Understandable. I totally understand that. Now, I know we're going to go into, or I want to ask you a little bit about a simple approach to reversing diabetes. But before I get into that, I am really more, and I know people are listening who have diabetes right now, type 2 diabetes, but I am most concerned, Dr. Taylor, about those who are pre-diabetic or have insulin resistance and don't know it. Because you know, it takes a little bit of time to develop diabetes, maybe even several years. And I would love to be able to help people stop the process of developing diabetes well before they even get it. And I wanted to know that as we talk about the program to reverse diabetes, is this the same type of program we can use for insulin resistance or prediabetes? Because there's a lot of people, I would say the majority of people are dealing with some level of insulin resistance. Yes. And this is a a vital topic and one that really requires wide discussion so that people actually understand what we're talking about. Insulin resistance in the muscles is something which is largely genetically determined, but it can be modified both by exercise improvement and by being overweight when it goes down. But that's a relatively small change around wherever your set point for the insulin resistance is. Now, people with developing type 2 diabetes, by and large, do have fairly insulin-resistant muscles. But it's a huge overlap with the normal population. So what's going on? Well, that's where the liver comes in, because liver insulin resistance is solely due to too much fat in the liver. Now, we can be certain about this because this is something that's able to be changed quite rapidly. So in the first seven days of a low-calorie diet, the liver insulin resistance doesn't just improve, it actually goes back to normal, complete normality. So we can actually remove the vital aspect of insulin resistance that's actually causing the diabetes. So if we apply that to people who are in the early stages, have got pre-diabetes, there's a very simple bottom line. Lose about 10% of body weight. That's not as much as you'd have to lose if you've gone on to develop diabetes. But if you do that, the process will be stopped in its tracks and you will find 
But next time you go to your doctor's office, the levels are normal and your doctor is quite surprised. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I just wanted to touch upon that because I know for my audience that insulin resistance or potentially prediabetes or just being mindful around what's going on with their fasting insulin levels is a concern. And I just wanted to address that because I definitely have a lot of audience, a lot, a lot of listeners who are just really more concerned there with a potential risk of diabetes, but not necessarily fully at diabetes, having diabetes, type 2 diabetes. So then talk to me because we all have friends and family and people that we love who are struggling with type 2 diabetes. Talk to me about the approach to help them reverse their onset of type 2 diabetes. The first step is for people to realize just what's happened to their body. They've accumulated a substantial amount of fat in total. On average, 10 to 15 kilograms, and they need to get themselves back to the weight they used to be in their early 20s, perhaps, but certainly 10 to 15 kilograms down. Now, when I designed the very first study looking at this back in 2008, we needed to find a way of reducing weight in a short period of time that was possible to do a research study in. And we alighted upon eight weeks. And by calculating, I figured that we needed to lose 15 kilograms in weight. So I had to design a way of losing that in eight weeks, but a way that was real and feasible for people to do in their everyday lives. Because in my lifetime of medical practice, I've listened to a lot of people describe the difficulties they've had in losing weight. And what are the two main difficulties? Well, the first is hunger. That's not popular. But I knew that low-calorie liquid diets, once they were established, were associated with relatively little, if any, hunger. So that's a hunger thing. What's the other difficulty? Well, it's the burden of day-to-day -day decisions. How much is that? Can I really eat that? What kind of food? Is it a level teaspoonful? These decisions really get to people and there's a cumulative burden, which eventually causes them to really not be successful in weight loss. So we needed something that was relatively easy to do. And that led me to using liquid formula diets. So the choices were, what flavor? Because a person would have one packet for lunch, one packet for breakfast indeed, and one for the evening meal. To keep the bowels happy, it was necessary to add in some non-starchy vegetables because life isn't all about metabolism. The rest of the body has to be kept happy. And that was the basis of what we did. So time-limited, acceptable, free of hunger by and large, certainly challenging. So this is an approach which is simple but that's not the same thing as being easy. But in our studies, we found it was an approach that most people could do. And that's really important from the point of view of a doctor to know that the advice being given is able to be followed by the majority of people. Perfect. So you've discovered that the two big things that keep people from really making these changes are hunger 
and also having to figure out what to eat, like if this is okay or this amount is okay. And you have figured out a program in which most people are drinking these these shakes, these with uh, all the viable nutrients and protein and healthy fats, and they're consuming them three times a day. Is that correct? Or twice a day? Are they doing intermittent fasting as well? No, no. It's dead simple. It's just a shake for each of the three main meals that most people, at least in the UK, take per day. And they're actually surprisingly filling, and it becomes a way of life. But there's some really important things in the background, because it's not just the diet, it's the whole approach. And the very first step is to discuss with spouse or partner or close friends, family, because anyone doing this really needs to have people who understand what they're up to around them. So uh, that they won't be surprised when they perhaps withdraw from the usual family meal. And if people have that support, they are really in a good position and quite likely to be successful. If the spouse, partner or close people are not in favour of this, it will just never happen. And I was surprised initially that I discovered I couldn't predict who would do very well and who would do less well. Because as a doctor, I'm used to having an idea about how things will work. But this was quite different. And then suddenly I realized, because when people in our research studies came up for the long studies that we were doing, they often brought their spouse, partner with them. And suddenly I saw that it was a person sitting next to them that was actually providing the support and motivation, which was so critical. So... There's a vital first step. Discuss it with friends and family. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Not having that support can make things very challenging and very isolating. Now, with this simple switch over, how long does one stay on a program like this? Does it depend? I mean, clearly it depends on the length in which they've had diabetes. Yes. The fact that this is an eight-week program makes it all the more palatable because People can plan in when they're going to start it. Say that you had a, a wedding anniversary coming up, a couple of family birthdays, and it's really not going to be good to start this month. Well, then perhaps it can be started at the beginning of next month if there's a clear run of time when people can devote time to it. Because you see, what we're doing with this is not just starting a diet, it's a matter of setting aside two months in order to achieve a step change in bodily health. Just as though you were going for an operation. The operation would happen, then you'd have to have perhaps a couple of months convalescence to get over it, but you would have achieved what you set out to do. So this has to be looked at as an emergency at the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes, but something which is urgent to complete within a fairly short time. So That makes it humanly possible, and I think underlies our success in achieving the good results that we have done so far. And usually within that eight-week period, people can expect to start seeing this approach. Is it it sooner than even the eight weeks? When when within the program do we begin to see some shifts? Would Would it be within the first three weeks or four weeks? In our first study, 
we brought people back after seven days and after four weeks and at the end. The seven-day visit was amazing. People came along with normal fasting sugars, that is, the blood sugar level before breakfast. And they also felt so good. And there's two parts to this. One is, when they got up from the chair, they were lifting seven pounds less than they used to, because that was the average weight loss in the first seven days. So the rapid weight loss is self-motivating and keeps people going. People had more energy than before. Now, this surprised people because they'd expected to be tired on this low-calorie diet. But in fact, people do feel good. They lose the weight. They can move around more easily. They find themselves running upstairs. I haven't done that for years, they say. And something else quite remarkable kicked in by the four-week visit. The commonest comment at that visit was, I feel 10 years younger. Now, that says a lot. These people had embarked upon this, hoping that there was some improvement in their diabetes. But in fact, they were feeling tremendously well in themselves for the first time for a long time. And those people who'd had breathing problems during the night, sleep apnea, discovered that that too had improved. And so they were more alert, more wakeful during the day. So well-being is a striking characteristic within a few weeks of starting this program. That's wonderful. I had a feeling it may have been within the first week or two. And let's say we the patient finishes the full eight weeks and they have a full remission from their type 2 diabetes. How long will the diabetes stay away? And I know that there's a lot of factors here that can determine this, but on average, what have you seen? Well, this is a really good question. And it was a main question I was asked by my medical and scientific colleagues in 2011 when we came out with these dramatic results. So we ran a further study, which was just aiming to keep weight steady for six months and see what happened. And in that study, called Counterbalance, we showed that people could keep their weight steady with sufficient support, and everything remained rock steady. The pancreas had recovered, the insulin secretion had come back, and it remained absolutely fine over the, over the six months of that study. But now, in 2020, I can talk about the results of DIRECT, which was a two-year study, a two-year study that was conducted in doctor's offices, largely by the doctor's nurse. This wasn't something so complicated. It required an MD to be doing this. This was the doctor's nurse who delivered this, sometimes dietitian, if there was such a person in the doctor's office. And we discovered that not only did the insulin secretion come back quickly, but it gradually improved up to 12 months. The pancreas was gradually recovering. And our data, which has only just been published in the major American journal Diabetes Care, shows that that recovery was completely sustained to two years. So we're seeing that we can put the pancreas back on track, the liver is just fine, and 
from individuals I've been following up throughout this, I can say that provided weight gain is avoided, then the diabetes stays away. My longest duration patient is now 15 years out. I have to couple that with the statement that it's a challenge to keep the weight down long term. Things happen in life, financial problems, family illness, all sorts of disasters occur just in the course of routine life. And that tends to take people's focus away from the important part of just day-to-day, steadily keeping weight steady. And weight tends to rise quite rapidly in that sense. So it's a constant battle. When that happens, we have a system in place of what we call rescue plans. So if people gain more than eight pounds in weight, they go back on the shakes for a period of time until they've got back into control. But they would only do that once the problems overcome and they're able to do this feasibly. Because we're talking real people, real lives here, and no magic formula, no fixed approach is appropriate across the board. So how long will this last? Well, it will last for many years or decades, provided weight regain is avoided. Yes, that makes so much sense. And I'm glad that there are rescue programs that people can bring back into place because you're absolutely right. People are people and circumstances happen. And I know that over time, we have a program that we do with women. It's a women's hormone program, but it focuses, it shakes breakfast and lunch, and then they eat healthy protein and a salad and we have them on it. And they have that program that they can go back to and they go back to it as, you know, anytime they feel like things are beginning to slip or they know that they have made some lifestyle choices that aren't serving them, they have that program to go back on. And so I I know I, I talk to my community all the time and you're absolutely right. Things come up and I'm so glad that you guys have contingency plans or the program that can be adapted so that if people do find themselves heading back into pre-diabetes or diabetes, that they can do the program again and get their bodies back on track. Yes, indeed. You mentioned pre-diabetes there, and that's an interesting thing because some people go back completely into what we can say is a normal range. Other people go back under the range where we, we would diagnose diabetes. So they've got rid of their diabetes, but have fallen into this gray zone. Now, It's really important that doctors and people who used to have diabetes realize that the implication of being in that gray zone is completely different after weight loss than it is for people who are in that gray zone approaching type 2 diabetes. Those people approaching diabetes will have high lipids. They are hurtling down the road to disaster. They'll have high fat in the pancreas, high fat in the liver. People who've managed to come down from diabetes, stop all the tablets, and are now in a gray zone, have normal lipids. They've got normal fat in the liver and pancreas, and it stays normal. And if we calculate their 10-year cardiovascular risk, it's drastically different from the very high-risk state of pre-diabetes. So we can be quite certain 
that when HbA1c goes below 7, which is the cutoff for diagnosis of diabetes by the American and European criteria, then they have actually achieved a step change in their health. So pre-diabetes must be separated from what we might almost call post-diabetes. Got it. So it's just in terms of our lipid panel and the way that our chemistry is working inside of the body, it is, it's a kind of that gray zone of post-diabetes. They're definitely in terms of cardiovascular risk and other risks, they're safer than if you were on the other side heading into diabetes and having pre-diabetes. And that's really important in view of what you previously said about your work with women's health, because women with type 2 diabetes increase their risk of cardiovascular disease more than men do. Now, this will be very familiar to you. Yes. But if I just mention that we start off with men at somewhat higher risk, men with diabetes have further increased risk. But women with diabetes overtake those normal men and go up to the same risk as men with diabetes. Now, that's a terrible thing. And it puts all the more emphasis on the importance for women with type 2 diabetes getting back to this state of getting rid of their diabetes and they will see their lipids tumble. At this very moment, I'm putting together our information, looking separately about how the men responded and how the women responded. So watch this space. We'll be able to put some exact numbers on this uh, in the coming months. I would love to see that. You know, it's, I look so much at the, I mostly only look at women, um, but women, we, women do struggle, you know, and I think there's the, the addition of hormones that are playing a role. Um, you know, I have since two people will be on the same program, men and women. And I just, we find that, that men respond much faster, much quicker and than women do. And so I'm glad that you're looking at that um, because there definitely are differences. Well, Dr. Roy Taylor, thank you so much. I know you have your book and I have a feeling, um, I haven't had a chance to look all the way through it, but Life Without Diabetes, the full program is in there. And then not only that, but really the research explaining the why. And if someone were to want to do the program, would they go see their doctor? Do they go to the web, your website? How is it? How would one implement this program? I would suggest that a person should read about this, buy the book. That would be a good, uh, good start. First move. All the proceeds will be going to Diabetes UK charity, which supports research in the UK. So buy the book and read it, but then do go and discuss it with your doctor or uh, your diabetes educator. Sometimes you will meet resistance because word gets around slowly in medical circles. Yes, and it sometimes does. people will be told, look, this is, this is just another uh, piece of fake news. But in fact, the book uh, has links to the information on the web, and that information can be drawn to the attention of healthcare providers. So it is important that people discuss with their own uh, physician or advisor because that's a personal matter. However, for people who aren't on tablets relating to diabetes, then there's really very uh, little reason why they shouldn't go ahead to try and gain the health benefits for themselves. So people 
perhaps in the early stages of prediabetes, it's a bit of a no-brainer. It should be done. And I can't imagine any medical contraindication to that. I 100% agree. And you have my buy-in based on the research as a functional practitioner and knowing that this is possible, looking at the research in the book as well. I absolutely agree 100%. And yes, there could be resistance. You know, many of you may go talk to your doctors and there may be a little bit of resistance. And I always just want to you know, offer you the opportunity to get a second opinion because um, I do agree with you, Dr. Roy Taylor, that there, there's no real contraindication to a program like this when it comes to reducing our visceral fat on our pancreas and our liver, supporting our gut and helping to get ourselves back to homeostasis. Indeed. Well, I hope that the viewers of this podcast enjoy reading the book. It's a book written to be enjoyed. But even more than that, I hope it actually makes a difference to your health. I absolutely agree. Thank you so much. The link for the book will be in the show notes, everyone. I want you to go and grab it. It is available in the US right now. And I think, you know, knowledge is power. This is one of the best ways that you can get that knowledge and then they then make a great decision for you and your body. Thank you so much again, Dr. Taylor, for jumping on the show today and, and being interviewed on the Essentially You podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure, Marissa. Now, I'm not going to lie. I really loved how fact-driven and research-driven Dr. Taylor was in our conversation. It is quite obvious he lives and breathes this research and that he's more caught up in the research than he is in promoting his groundbreaking book, which I would expect no less from a researcher who wants to see real change from a chronic condition that is affecting over 100 million people worldwide, even in young teenagers. So if you or someone that you know has type 2 diabetes or has pre-diabetes and you are looking for solutions that are not tied to medications and insulin and you're concerned about ongoing symptoms, I highly recommend checking out and reading Dr. Taylor's book, A Life Without Diabetes. This book is detailing out his protocols talking deeper into what we conversed about today, giving you a real viable solution to actually reverse your diabetes and to extend longevity, which I think is absolutely worth it. So the book link is in the show notes for episode 206, or it's on my website at drmarisa.com slash podcast. And I want to thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. On the upcoming episode, it's going to be a Q&A Friday episode. I'm diving into what are the best foods for healing your liver. Now, your liver plays a big role in diabetes, prediabetes, even insulin resistance. And I thought it would be really awesome to piggyback on the diabetes conversation with ways in which we can support our liver every single day. I will also be sharing what foods damage our liver and other things that damage our liver, and then also the top five supplements that your liver needs to function, especially in phase one and phase two detoxification um, processes that the liver undergoes pretty much 24-7 a day. So if you're interested in learning about what superfoods support your liver, how you can integrate them every day, then join the Q&A Friday episode, which I love. I love so much about these episodes is that they are short and to the point and succinct, so you get what you need very quickly and move on throughout your day. Until then, have an amazing day. 